0: Sunday night, July 2nd. Oh, yes. Summer's the third over. My goodness. And I am so thankful that your baby's out of the woods, Tina. So thankful. Nice. i just keep praying yeah. my heart out for that child. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, yes, thank you, How Lord. I say thank
1: you to God? I know How many it. many times? What? My daughter was admitted to the hospital in Fort Collins Monday evening to intensive care. You didn't get it. With necrotizing fasciitis. What is it? It's a rare flesh-eating bacteria. Oh, my gosh. And I don't know if you've seen pictures, but people that have had the flesh-eating, it just kills everything. You can Mm -hmm. die from it. One in four die from it. But she didn't have it on uh, the outer skin. She had it in her abdominal area <coughs> she went in she looked she was so bloated she looked six months pregnant oh my she goodness. said her fingers and everything was like sausages she was having excruciating pain and she was having trouble breathing because she has asthma and she had an upper respiratory infection on top of it mm. and um oh she had gosh. a team of five doctors working on it and they said we never see anything like this oh and um so you know they did all the tests um, got the prayer warriors and prayer warriors on it and um three bacteria. This was Monday night and by Tuesday evening her blood cultures were already looking better. She, you know, still felt pretty crappy, but you know, she's <coughs> talking about she wants to get home, she wants out in the hospital. I said, Well, you know, you're gonna be in there at least a week. The doctors told her three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. But she was on heavy-duty antibiotics, combo of three of them. She was on a, you know, cocktail of antibiotics. Oh, Tina. And um, she was discharged Wednesday evening. Not oh, three see? weeks, three days. Oh, my word. And they pinpointed the bacterial infection to both kidneys, the gallbladder, and the liver, vital organs.
0: And she's out of the and hospital. And she's out
1: of the hospital talking about restarting a job that she had been long term layoff.
0: Praise oh God. God in Jesus' name for oh, those God. blessings. Yeah, that was God. I, so, anyway, I just <laughs> want to tell you, I've just been rejoicing real. all day. It's for real. You know? Yeah, it is. God's for real. He is. We've seen it with Dusty, and now he's seen well, it with Tiff. And, and you read you know? the
1: scripture. Yeah. <clears throat> Do not fear. But declare the word of That's God. Right. Declare it out loud and go boldly before the. That's time, right. This is how you access
0: this kind of a miracle. That's right. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. and I wasn't the only one doing it. No, I know. I, you know, prayer warriors. That's right.
1: We're part of this.
0: Oh so, my! So, mm. Mm-hmm
1: you saw it so, online, so yeah, you put it up on, on Facebook. Facebook, yeah.
0: Yeah, I sent well, it out, had that, put it on but I was put it up late. I was
1: going to do it, Tiffany put it on Facebook, and I thought, well, she's already put
0: it out there. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't he like asked. preaching anything she wouldn't want. Right, in fact, she was right. glad I did because there
1: were other people <clears> that throat> aren't throat> in her Facebook friends that she knows pray. See, and that's and the well. difference. she was asking for prayer. This she, well, was, she knew I would, you know, mm-hmm. she knew right away that I would be asking for it. Mm-hmm. John Stanley had a story this morning, which was like the same situation. Peter was in prison and his brethren, his disciple brethren were praying and praying and praying mm-hmm. for him to be released from yeah. prison. Yeah. And then when Peter is, gets out and he goes knocking on their door and in this, the woman answers the door and she says, Well, Peter is here. He says, That's ridiculous. He can't be here. He's in prison. <laughs> you know
0: what? <laughs> I heard that. That's what I
1: did What's on my wrong with that <laughs> <to> this.
0: It's <laughs> I true. Started. It's true. Aren't we that way? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I know. I you can't think believe we... it actually works. Yeah, I know <laughs> it. it. It is funny. You're exactly right. You yes. think, How much faith was in that? But yeah, when it really happens, you go, Oh, my gosh, it did. It happened. It's okay, I'm sure God's laughing at us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like,
0: yeah. yeah exactly. Well anyway, back to talk about trials, <laughs> Jacob. You know, he's just he's had a man had a a, a man's life full of trials. So I just kind of wanted to go back and start with um you know, Jacob and his life and his seed. This is you know because of um We're going to move into Genesis 43 in a minute, but um, just before we get there. um, So he's already lost Joseph, and now he counts Simeon as dead. He doesn't intend to go back after Simeon. So he's lost two of his sons, and he has no intention of going back. But one heartache after another heartache after another heartache over and over and over. The things that his children have done, the things that he himself has done. And um, so if you just look at his life, um, you know that the covering of God is over him to protect his life and the life of his sons. That's there. But the blessings that come with that covenant of Abraham were really sparse in Jacob's life. Because he was always out from under the full covering. Um Abraham's covering reached Jacob, which I find to be very comforting. So that if our kids are nutballs or our grandkids are nutballs, mm-hmm. our covering reaches them because of our faith. Because if God did it for Abraham, he'll do it for us. Mm-hmm. And um so um we can stand on that and believe for that. At least I do. I, I find that I mean, you know, if, if God did that for Jacob because of Abraham, Mm -hmm. then he'll do it for my grandkids because of us. Yeah, exactly. So our blessing can reach them. Maybe not the full blessing, but our blessing, our covering of preservation and deliverance and and defense, preserve, Mm -hmm. yes, preservation and protection. Those things will cover our kids and our grandkids Mm -hmm. and, um.
1: And they've got to choose to live in the blessing. That's
0: right, and they get to choose to live in the blessing or the cursing, you know. But Jacob always just had one foot slightly in, but most of him was always out. So when you look at Jacob, I mean, um, the Lord kind of showed me a cool thing. You know, I was uh, talking to Bill. We're getting ready to go to Kentucky to see the art, which is going to be great. But um, um, he was on the internet and looking and he was going, I'm not really sure which way to go and all that. And, and the Lord just popped into my head, well, I'm your GPS. If you're wondering what to do, which way to go, I'm your GPS. And then he said, God's plans served. I went, all right, that is so cool. So you think about it like this. GPS is this huge satellite that looks down It can see the everything. All the roads, all the ways, it can see where the traffic lights, where the traffic jams are. It can what see where the imagine. construction is right. And God can tell you in your life which way to go if you'll just listen. Mm-hmm. So Jacob never seemed to listen to his GPS. His GPS was always having to recalculate. That just it made me laugh because God would say, Go to Beth Go to Bethel, just like the lady. And then he'd stop and check him, and he'd go, recalculate, recalculate, recalculate. recalculate go to Bethel, <laughs> you know. So Jacob was always in recalculate mode with God and his GPS, which I thought was just kind of funny to me I laughed about that.
1: Yeah, that is very God's good. Yeah, it was plan, a good picture, wasn't it? God's plans served. Served.
0: Yeah, God's served. plans served. Yeah. That's a great. Point. I know. I thought, wow, that's kind of a cool thing. That could be a blog a blog post. I I have to work on that one. But um, anyway, so I was just, you know, I was looking at Jacob. So here's this little man, and he always has the choices to make because he knows his heritage. But Jacob's a very proud man, a very independent man. So he becomes that wanderer, oppressed, you know. His life is always marked by struggle after struggle and sadness and heartache all the way up to Revelations where the last three and a half years Jesus proclaims are Jacob's trouble. The last, the worst three and a half years of, of uh, the judgment are Jacob's trouble. I mean, all the way through, it's like whatever God says to be, comes up at the end. And um, I was reading um, in um, Ezekiel today. We, we may get to it. But, but in Ezekiel, even at the very end of the chapter, everything comes full circle. Do you know Joseph is buried in Shechem? Did you know all that? Uh -uh. It all goes back to Shechem where it's like, you know, the reason it's in Shechem is because Manasseh and Ephraim now control that area. Those are Joseph's sons. And so it all comes back. The deliverance comes back because Israel moves back into and takes for the first time the promised land. And they take Joseph's bones with them. And because Manasseh and Ephraim are right there, Joseph is buried in Shechem. Well,
1: it was you not know? teeth buried where Abraham Mm-mm. and
0: Sarah. Mm-mm. Okay. Isn't that something? Isn't
1: that a big tourist spot, Joseph's tomb? Probably
0: is. Probably is. Um, but yeah, it's I think just.
1: I've seen it on an archaeology
0: program. It's probably so. so. But you know, I thought, wow, to come full circle, God has a reason for that. You know, I don't know all the answers for that. I think it's Zechariah. Zechariah, where it says that? No, I forgot where I was reading today. You said Ezekiel. You said Ezekiel. Ezekiel, maybe it was Ezekiel, yeah. Um, anyway, I can't find it right now. But, but I just thought, oh my gosh, that is just the coolest thing ever. Who would have thought it, that it comes full circle? But when Joseph comes back, the deliverer of his people, he's planted in Shechem, when Israel has finally taken the promised land, what
1: were you going to look you
0: for? You Ezekiel. Um, I think where it was Ezekiel, go. but I'm not well, even what sure because I don't know because I was all over yeah, the Bible. What are you this
1: looking for? I
0: am looking for the scriptures where um, we find Joseph has gone back into Shechem. His bones oh, oh, are buried oh. there. So I don't know exactly right. where. Right. You know, I don't know. I was all over the Bible this morning and I can't remember.
1: Okay. So.
0: Um, I'm just going browse. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, it was just pretty cool. Um, Oh, no. I know, I know, I know. Joshua 24. Joshua 24. Mm-hmm. Joshua.
1: Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, jo- Yeah, and this is really cool because Joshua, you know, this was kind of like God's final place where he said to Jacob, okay, you you got to choose who you're going to worship. You know, you have to choose. Are you going to Bethel or are you going to stay here and... You know, fall prey to all these Havites that want to take your life. What are you going to do? Listen to me. Go to Bethel. And so they're back there. Again, they've made full circle now. And here's Joshua having said, you know, like Jim said this morning, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. So now he's giving the same um, spiel to um, the people of Israel. So look at verse 22. In 24. Mm-hmm. Chapter 24. Yeah, we'll back up a little bit further. Um, Verse 19, and Joshua said to the people, you can't serve the Lord. Um, You cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. But if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, after that he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witness against yourselves that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away, he said, the strange gods which were among you. All those weird gods, and they're marching in to take the promised land, and they're taking their gods with them. I mean, uh, Jacob. It's Jacob. And incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and this voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. And it will be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man to his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnathserah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that out overlived Joshua, which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in the parcel of ground which Jacob bought from the sons of Amor and the father father of Shechem for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph." Mm. And um so it's just pretty interesting. I'm going, oh my gosh, they came full circle, only this time they came back on top instead of in the bottom. So you know, and that was thanks to Joseph, who was their deliverer. But okay, just look at these parallels. First of all, Jacob to me was utterly bankrupt in faith. He trusted himself far more than he trusted God, because he knew himself far better than he knew God. So faith is what's counted as righteousness. Because he's under the Abrahamic covenant like we are. We're not under the Mosaic covenant. We're under the Abrahamic covenant. Where faith is counted as righteousness. So he didn't have very much, actually. So the covenant promises of Abraham belonged to Jacob. But he was blinded to the truth by the world's lures and his own pride. Um, by not entering into a personal relationship with God and not teaching his sons about the richness in covenant, um without God, with God, the door was open for tragedy for all of them, and it hit again and again and again, and Jacob never cried out to God for mercy, you never see it, you never do, as for the nation of Israel, and this is a parallel, because Jacob, you know, was a forerunner of Israel, that nation has the same story. They're proud. They're drawn away of their own lust. They're always pulled to the world. Even today, they're more nationalistic than Hasidic. They're not really covenant Jewish people. They're nationalistic. Um, um, and they're still waiting for deliverance and mercy. They're still looking for Messiah. They completely missed him. You know? Um And so they're coming
1: back. He is coming
0: back. And yeah, we're gonna read about that too. But yeah, so their waywardness and their blindness to the true covenant in Abraham, because they live under the Mosaic covenant, not the Abrahamic covenant, which is the one that belongs to Israel. Okay. Um, and that has led to the world's ways and it's opened the door for one tragedy after another. Over and over and over. They live the same life in a parallel that Jacob's lived. They still live. God's never going to stamp them out because of the promises that he made to Abraham a long time ago. Israel is always going to be a part of it. Um, a third of Israel is going to be saved out of the, um, um, out of the revelations, out of the, mm-hmm. that whole seven-year judgment. So a third will be saved because of God's love for Israel and his promises to Abraham. So the seed of Israel is never going to die. It's never going to die. It's always going to live, you know. Um, But that grace and mercy that's always available, just didn't tap into. So when Jacob and his sons finally encounter Joseph, a type of Christ, and they are face down in the dirt, they finally come to him in a way of total faith. They have nothing else to put their faith in. They're at the end of themselves. They have nothing left. And when they finally put their total faith in Joseph, and they mourn because of what they did to him, you know, the first time they realize who he is, they weep because they realize what they've done to him. Same parallel is going to happen in Zechariah. When they see him, they're going to weep and mourn. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Um, the minute that they fall, they're covered. Because of God's grace and love. Not because of their own goodness, but because of God's grace and love. They're covered. Um, And even though they're in Egypt, which is a type of the world, um, they're separated and protected and blessed and made whole. Um, And they thrived and they multiplied into a great nation. So likewise, when Israel recognizes Messiah, and they fall on their faces and weep and mourn because of what they did for him, Um, They're going to be raised up a great nation, and he's going to rule and reign with them. So let's go to Zechariah Mm -hmm. and just read that. So you can look at Jacob's life and pretty much follow the life of Israel. You know, they're still scattered and wandering. I mean, they have a homeland, but they're still scattered and wandering. Good luck finding Zechariah. Where
1: is <laughs> that? I know. It always wears me out to find these little books. It's right before Matthew, isn't it? Yeah, it's close there. Zephaniah, Zephaniah Aga, and then I think
0: Zechariah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Malachi. Yeah, and then
1: Malachi,
0: yeah. You know, you can find every other book in the Bible, but you get to these Zechariah, Obadiah, and it's just like, what are they talking about? Never look cool looking for those things. Alright. Go to chapter 12. Oh,
1: it's
0: a big book. Oh. It actually is a pretty big book here. Yeah. Okay. Um, start with verse um, 8. In that day, Shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem? And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. The name Israel literally means to rule as God. Okay? Oh, really? Yes, to wrestle, but to rule and reign as God. And, um, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. So, um, it, it says. You know, that Israel will be, like the house of David, will be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them, which Joseph is a type of that. That's why the name Israel was used, because it's it's prophetic in the first place of Jesus ruling and reigning like God. You know, power through power and strength. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David... And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. So they come before Joseph, and Joseph pours out on them, without reservation, that grace and that mercy and that love. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family part, The family of the house of David apart and their wives apart. And the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. Um, anyway, and it just goes on to talk about the mourning. Now go to chapter 13. Look at verse 6. And once you'll say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just skip to verse 8. And it will come to pass that in all the land, says the Lord, two parts therein will be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. And I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Now skip down to 14, verse 1. So through Jacob's trouble, that picture is the refiner's fire. A third of the people will be saved, but two-thirds cut off. That is the last two, three-and-a-half years of the judgment, and that's called Jacob's trouble, okay? Verse 1 and 14. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and your spoils shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And you will flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. You, yes, you shall flee As you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with you. Um, Skip down to verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter it shall be. And the Lord will be king. There he is again, Israel. Over all the earth. And that day there will be one Lord and his name. One, um, all the land shall be turned as a as a plain from Gabad to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel unto King's winepress. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now go to verse seventeen. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So where is the blessing? It's right back in Bethel where the Lord is, you know, the house of God, Bethel. You know, it's um, so if you choose not to go to Bethel, if you choose to not go there, you're going to miss the blessing. The blessing's there. It's not where you want to be. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to the feast of tabernacles. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. And in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Um, every pot in Jerusalem and in, Jeru- in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take them, and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So um, the Lord of hosts, Jesus, when he comes to rule and reign. Israel, who's been tormented in the world all this time, is going to be the sheltered, protected place. The one place where the blessings flow in the world. Anybody else outside of that in the world is not going to be under the blessing. They're going to be in the absence of the blessing where the curse is. But when you come to Jerusalem, when you come to the house of God, that's where the blessings flow. And um, same thing with Jacob now. He can't get to the full blessing of God until he and his whole family come before Joseph and bow before him, you know, and acknowledge him as the only one that can save them and deliver them. And once they do that, the deliverance of God is going to wrap them up. They'll be right in the middle of the world, but it's going to be as if they're in the womb of Goshen, in the womb of the world where that nation is going to be birthed. You know, the seeds are planted in Goshen. And God's covering will be with them because of Joseph's love and grace and mercy. So my question is this. And because, I mean, uh, we've all been there. Hit the wall at 5,000 miles an hour. We've all been there. So why does it take a crucible of fire every time to bring us, to bring Jacob, to bring Israel to the God of covenant? And that's not the covenant of God, but rather the God of covenant. A lot of people come to the covenant of God, but they don't come to the God of covenant. Mm. And the um, Lord showed me that too. He said, It's not coming to the covenant, it's coming of God, it's coming to the God of the covenant that opens the door for the covenant. Mm-hmm. And I go, Wow. So I put stars all around that because I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. You come to the source. You're exactly right. So, okay. So we find Jacob once again in the crucible, in the fire. And he's lost two sons. So let's just go to chapter 43. Haven't said all that.
1: Fascinating though.
0: (laughs) It is, isn't it? So we're going to look again at God's GPS because he can see everything. Jacob does not want to go down there. He's already lost two sons. But God's GPS is still working. And he has turned up the heat on the famine. So that um, Jacob and his family are sort of hanging by a thread here. They're actually not faring well at all. Um, And it's only the second year of a seven-year famine. Holy moly. Yeah. So, all right, back to Genesis 43. Okay. Verse 1. And the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt that their father said to them, go and buy us a little food. That word little is so powerful. It's um, the word ma'at. And it means very little, a diminished amount, the least amount, or almost nothing. Mm. So that tells me that Jacob has eaten through all their corn. Their animals have not fared well. They probably don't have a lot. So what they could buy is a diminished small amount of food. They are out from under the blessing of God. What verse are you Um, you Verse 1. Uh-huh. Where he says, buy us a little forty-three. food. Forty-three. 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 43. Oh, sorry, 43.1.
1: Mm-hmm. Could you uh, do that ref- uh, definition again for that?
0: No? Yes, then mayot. Mm-hmm. Very little. A diminished amount. Or the least amount or almost nothing.
1: I wonder
0: why he was it leads like you to he think he doesn't have a lot to send. To send. Mm-hmm. You know, that he doesn't have a lot to send. Go and buy us a little food. Because mm-hmm. he's a big family. You'd think they'd mm-hmm. take everything they had and scrape it together. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't make a trip to Egypt that far Just away. Buy a little, yeah, little unless food. that's all you could afford. Yeah. Well, That's all you had, you know?
1: Yeah, and well they wasn't going back to buy food anyway anyways, going back to get Simeon. Well, I don't think so. Uh, I think he
0: had written Simeon off. Simeon was yeah, well, yeah he I says Simeon
1: a little more food. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. more
0: food. Yeah, mine really just says much. a little and when you look at the yeah, I mean, literal translation, food. still the word little. Just, a little more or a little. It's the same thing. Just mm-hmm. this much food. Mm-hmm. See if we can eke out something else. But, yeah, you know, in chapter 42, he says, you know, Simeon is not. Joseph is not and Simeon is not, meaning they're dead to me. They don't exist. So what he was going to do is just send his sons back to buy a little food, Mm -hmm. hoping they could just get by without losing anything else. And, of course, the sons are going to point out to him, we can't go without Benjamin, you know, and Jacob knows that. So even for Jacob to suggest that they go back to buy a little He knows he's going to have to send his son to get any. So to me, that says desperation complete. Mm -hmm. So look at it. This is God's GPS. We talked last week again about the Mendelbrot theory, how everything unfolds in its own way. Everything has its own choice. Like you and I are each a leaf on, on a tree, the same tree. And we can unfold in any way we want, depending on how the environment around us reacts and what have you. We all get that freedom to unfold. But in the end, it doesn't matter how each one of us uniquely unfolds because God can see the whole outline of the maple tree. He, can, he knows it's going to be a maple tree. It doesn't matter how each of us unfold. It's still going to be a maple tree. So <clears throat> Jacob had not been the easiest to unfold, right? All right. But number one, God did not cause the famine. Okay. He knew it was coming. Because he gave Pharaoh warning seven years before it happened. God knew it was coming. He gave Pharaoh warning, and he gave Joseph the wisdom to figure out the solution to it. So that Egypt was prepared. So that's first. Then God didn't cause Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Hello? Hello? Hey, oh, that's okay. No, nope, that's fine. That's fine. Hi. Right. Yep, yeah, no problem, Barney. It's good. I'm starting to get interested during your time. Well, come on yeah. and hang out with us. Yeah, come on in. We have, we have no popcorn. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. There you
0: go. That'll do it. It does. We should do that more often. Of that. I
1: know. There you go.
0: So, second, God didn't cause Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery, but he knew that, that he would. Here he is, the GPS, looking down, on the global situation. He didn't cause them to do it, but he knew they were going to do it. And um, he caused that evil to work for good because he put his favor on Joseph, wherever Joseph went. You know, they could do a lot of things to Joseph, but they couldn't take his life. Just like Job. You know, God says, all that he has is in your purview, Satan. But you can't have his life. It's mine. Same with Jacob. The world could do anything it wants to Jacob, but Jacob's life was God's In the end, and he was going to use Jacob and those sons to get that nation birth, no matter what, you know. (laughs) So he put his favor on Joseph, and finally he got all the way up to Pharaoh where Joseph prospered. But in every trial that Joseph faced, he prospered and came out promoted. Where with Jacob, every trial Jacob faced, he just barely got out with his life, Mm. you know. There's a great deal of difference because. Joseph knew the God of covenant, you know. It seems okay. that
1: Jacob is in a state of despair and resignation. Yes. And has pretty much given up on anything. Yes. Yes. So he if you has. just need a little bit more, and then like the woman, well, we'll use this little bit of flour and then to die. And die. Yeah. That's kind of sounding like.
0: It does to me five. too. Yep, it does to me too. Like he's just completely given up. Go get more, send Benjamin, whatever, but... Right, yeah. God didn't cause Jacob to suffer greatly, but suffer greatly he did, and he was suffering great loss in this famine. But God knew that Jacob, God knew Jacob, and he knew that they would come to this place of desperation. God knew it. He didn't cause it. He didn't make of Jacob wait that long. He gave Joseph great wisdom. So Joseph, for seven years, prepared for Israel's coming into Egypt, you know. And he gave Joseph the wisdom to get Israel to Egypt. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph lived under grace, not under the law. Thank goodness. Perfection wasn't required, but faith was. Um, And we're living under the same covenant. But, you know, from Genesis 11 to this point, Jacob sticks out like a sore thumb. In every turn of his life, he chose independence over relationship with God. And he never came to know experientially and intimately the God of Abraham. So his faith in him was really small. He trusted himself in his own wisdom. Um, Even though God reached out to bless him numerous times in personal ways, Jacob just never got it. Um, The thing that gets me is this. Don't you think that if Jacob had asked, God would have said, go to Egypt? You know, I mean, you would think that that God could have gotten him there. And we're all that way in church, too. There's so many people in our churches that are like Jacob. Sometimes we are, you know, off and on. But more not than we are. But there are some people that live in Jacob's shoes all the time. They have the blessings of Abraham at their door. And here's that picture in Revelation 3. Jesus is knocking at the door. And he said, let me come in and eat that meal of friendship with you. The friendship of Abraham. Let me eat that friendship meal with you so I can call you friend. But they keep that door shut because they are much more comfortable with um, an independent connection to God rather than an intimate relationship with Him. I don't want to make a commitment. Right. And the meal of friendship remains untouched. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's so many people like that and so many times I just want to grab folks and say, you could have such a much better life if you would just listen a minute, you know. So storms come, but how we weather them is determined by personally how we re- relate to God, you know, and faith. So go back to Genesis 12. I'm going to show you this.
1: What
0: did you just say? The meal of friendship? Yes, when so when uh, there's a covenant meal that's very strong, it's called a covenant of friendship. And it's the most intimate, personal covenant that there is aside from the blood covenant, okay? And it's actually more personal because it's one-on-one. Abraham ate that meal with, with, um, you know, the three strangers that came, and one of those strangers was Jesus. And he says, he's my friend now. I can't withhold anything from him. I'll tell him everything, and, you know, together we'll do things. He could trust Abraham. So all through the New Testament, you hear And God called Abraham his friend. Well, at the end of Revelations, you see Jesus knocking at the door of everybody's heart. And he doesn't say, Open your heart and I'll come in and save you. He says, Open your heart and I'll come in and eat the meal of friendship with you. I'll sup with you. I'll eat with you. So that we're intimate friends, not just God and servant. You know, most people, not most people, but a lot of people in church never get past that servitude. And we're not servants. We're children of God, okay? We serve at our Father's pleasure, but we are not, we're not—we're no longer servants. Jesus said, um, I used to call you servants, but now, and when did he say this? After, after the covenant meal, after the friendship meal in the upper room, he says, I no longer call you servant. I call you friends. Mm-hmm. It's that friendship meal. So now go to Genesis 12. Because Abraham and Isaac also faced famines. And I want you to see the difference in how they weathered them. Okay. Look at Genesis 12. Verse 10. This is Abraham. Genesis 12. Verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Um, so Abraham didn't sit still. He got up and he went to Egypt. Okay? Trusting God, living in that covenant, but he went to Egypt. Now look at um, chapter 13, 1 through 4. And of course, we know the story about Sarah and getting in trouble with the Pharaoh and all that. <laughs> But when he came out of that famine, okay, when he left there, Pharaoh had paid him exorbitant amounts of money, thinking Sarah was his sister. And then he paid him exorbitant amounts of money to get out of town. <laughs> money and cattle and everything. So at the end of the flood, at the end of this famine, look at, look at Abraham. Verse 1 and 13. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. Um, And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, back to the place of blessing, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Immediately, Abraham got back in touch with God. Back to the temple. I mean, back to that altar. Back to that place. And and he didn't have to be driven by God. He went there. You know? Now go to Genesis 26.
1: Genesis
0: 26. Mm-hmm. Yep. Isaac had a famine. Mm-hmm
1: it almost sounds like the same story
0: it is almost the same story but this is the point that I want to make because Isaac is Jacob's dad Jacob, you know mm, Isaac was Jacob's dad and Jacob was alive, you know it's not like he was you know, he was a kid in the family right, you know, holy cow so look at this Verse one and twenty six and there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went into Abimelech, the king of the Philistines under Gerar, but the Lord appeared to him and said, Go not down to Egypt, but dwell in the land which I shall tell you of. God gave him specific instructions. He says, "Don't you go to Egypt I don't want you to go there. It was okay for Abraham but not for you. Now, here, Isaac has the opportunity to hear God and stay where the blessing is or to go to Egypt anyway. And he chose to listen to what God says, where Jacob, time and again, chose to do his own thing. Okay. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For unto you and unto your seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham your father. And I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto your seed all these countries. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the one that Paul quotes when he says, in your seed, not one, you know, not multiple seeds, but in the one seed, Jesus, will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, here's the the key to everything. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Isaac did not move. Isaac did exactly what God said. You stay here because this is where your blessing is. And if you stay here, I'll make you a very wealthy man. Don't worry about the famine. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of you because Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham did what I said to do. You know,
1: working in Abraham's that's
0: right. So he stayed put. Now, look at verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. So, um, right there in that year of the famine, he sowed and got a hundredfold return on his crops. And and that's not just a hundred percent return. A hundredfold is different than a hundred percent. So, like, if you just wanted to go tenfold, you know, okay, onefold would be, if you just had one seed, one-fold would be two kernels of corn, two kernels of corn. Two-fold would be four. Three-fold would be eight. Four-fold would be 16. Five-fold would be 32. Six-fold would be 64. Seven-fold is 128. Right. Eight-fold. Right. So when you say a hundred-fold... Can you fathom how much that would be? Because he sowed massive amounts of seeds in the land in that year. So he reaped a hundredfold, not just a hundred times more, not a hundred percent more. That would just be doubled. But but he reaped a hundredfold more, which is astronomical in blessing. And that was in the year of a famine. And then you come to Jacob. (laughs) Jacob has had the story of Abraham's famine told to him. He probably lived through Isaac's famine. And then look at how he handles a famine. And you
1: probably didn't know why Mm-mm. why it all went wrong. Yeah, on. he has
0: probably no idea. But he never sought God. Well, um, he'd already lost jo- Joseph and Simeon, and now he's in danger of losing Benjamin. All to keep the rest of his family alive in the famine. Couldn't God have given Jacob the same wisdom that he gave to Isaac. Absolutely. God told Abraham what to do. He told Isaac what to do, and they obeyed. Jacob told, Jacob's them,
1: told in, them what to do, and they didn't obey. That's
0: it. That's exactly right. So back to Genesis 43, and here we go. Jacob goes on with it. Um... Okay, verse 3. And Judah spoke to him, saying, The man did solemnly protest to us, saying, You will not see my face except your brother be with you. If you will send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy the food. But if you will not send him, we'll not go down. For the man said to us, You will not see my face except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Why have you dealt so ill with me? Now he's blaming his children. Of course. Yeah. They deserve some of the blame as to tell the man whether you yet had a brother. (laughs) And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? And have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father. Now we go from Jacob to Israel. You know, we've left Jacob in 42, and now we're moving on to Israel because everything that's happening from here is going to have eternal consequences in the future.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So now we're dealing with Israel and what the fate of the nation. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we'll arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and all our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shall you require him. If I bring him not to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. Their father Israel said to them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh and nuts and almonds, probably just some meager little gift. And take double money in your hand, the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sack, and carry it again in your hand, for adventure it was an oversight. And take also your brother, and arise and go unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be relieved of my, bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So, whatever happens, happens. But it's so funny because he says, send them all, and then may God bless you. We do that all the time. We say, Lord, we're going to do this. Bless what we're about to do. We Is thought the, a really good idea. Yeah. Asking. Yeah. He should did say, I'll go
1: with you.
0: No, he certainly didn't say, I'll go with you. Oh, no. I'll take my son down to be sure he's okay. No. Oh, and the, man, the men took that present, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Okay, like Paul said these stories are an example for us. You know, they're they're always an example. Um so whatever we can learn from Joseph, how not to do it, learn it. That's exactly what this is all about. Yeah. So let's pick up and just keep reading here. Um Verse 16, and when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of the house, bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon. He saw his brothers coming and he saw him with Benjamin. And what did he do? Here he is, a type of Jesus, Messiah ruler, and he is making a friendship meal to sit down and sup with his brothers. Grace and mercy poured out there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. And there he was sitting around the table, Jesus, with all those broken men, even the one that would betray him, eating the meal of friendship. And here's Joseph about to sit down and eat that friendship meal with all those broken men who had done such terrible things. But he's about to break bread with them.
1: father and the prodigal son. (laughs) Yes.
0: And the man did as Joseph bade. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time we're brought in, that we may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen in our asses. So now they're scared to death. Again, because of their own evil, they can't see good in anything. They immediately see punishment, judgment, whatever. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. And we brought it again to our hand, um, in our hand. And other money we have brought down in our hands to buy food. We can't tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, peace be to you. Shalom. That's what he said to them. Shalom, shalom. Fear not. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. Interesting comment, isn't it? Just exactly what Jesus says. That's fear not. You know, peace be unto you. First thing he said to the disciples when he rose from the dead. And they were meeting again in the upper room. He walks in and he says, Fear not, peace be unto you. And um, there it is, Joseph saying, Fear not, peace be unto you. And then what does Jesus ask for? Fish. Can we eat something? Do you have fish in the house? What do you have? They were going to eat eat a little bit together. And Joseph's about to feed them this meal. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet. And he gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present which Joseph came at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph, so they had that little present to bring to him, you know, the little bit of spices and whatever they had. So they made it look as good as they could, I'm sure. And when Joseph came home, they brought in the present which was in their hands in the house and bowed themselves to the earth. They laid flat on their faces before Joseph. Joseph remembered the dream. And isn't it interesting? The first dream was about sheaves, about yes. bread, about food, and their sheaves bowed down to his sheaf.
1: hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And he asked them of their welfare, their shalom, and said, "Is your father well?" And the old man, um, the old man of whom we spoke, is he yet alive? And they answered, <clears throat> "Your servant, our father, is in good health, and he's yet alive." And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance, the, the exact picture of the dream that Joseph had. Exact. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your long, younger brother of whom you spoke unto to me? And he said, God be gracious unto you, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. So he couldn't stand it anymore, he went away and he wept because he didn't want these men to see his face. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself, for them by themselves, for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that was an abomination unto the Egyptians. And that was true. I mean, that was a custom of the day. No Egyptian would sit down at the same table with a Hebrew. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled at one another. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Five times more, five is always the number of grace. You know, Benjamin was the complete innocent in all of this. All of his other brothers were given blessings. But Benjamin, the complete innocent in all of this, was given five times as much as his brothers. The grace of God just heaped on him. Yeah, so rather than, um, so 10 went into dinner, that's the law. Ten is the number for the law of the Ten Commandments. And five times more grace abounded toward Benjamin. You know. So he chose to raise him up to a place of friendship despite all their evil against him. And there's Jesus knocking at the door of our hearts wanting to sit down and sup with us. Revelation 3 just really gets to me now that I've been through um, Genesis. It means so much, you know. Um, I just keep seeing Jesus glorious and seated at the right hand of God, speaking to the most wretched church, um, Laodicea, stone cold and blind, you know. But Jesus offers them the friendship meal. So that's what he offers us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do. Um, but the deal isn't whether or not he offered it, it's whether or not we open the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether we choose to let him in. So that we're intimate. So we may err in choosing independence sometimes. But in truth. Um, even in the troubles. God makes the way out every time. Go to James 1. Let's just look at New Testament here. James 1. We're the one that opened the door. You know. God didn't open the door. He doesn't. He doesn't. Um, plan bad things for us. Church is always trying to give God the blame for everything. Well, God's got a purpose in this. You know, God's trying to teach us something. You know, I'm going, whoa, you know, everything that happens to us comes through God's hands. Mm, no. Everything that happens to us comes through our own choices. And here it is. This is James talking, this is his brother. And the word tempted is what's used in um, um, in the King James. I don't know what's used in yours. What chapter
1: are we uh,
0: James chapter 1. Um, yeah, but it's yeah trials and troubles and issues. Yes, it isn't temptation like wanting you to sin. It's just talking about all the trials and junk that happened to us. Okay. Verse 13. Let no man say... When he has trials and troubles. I got those trials and troubles from God. Basically is what that means. For God cannot give anybody trials and troubles. He doesn't have any evil in him. Neither does he give trials and troubles to any man. He doesn't have any evil in him. He can't give you any evil. He doesn't have trials and troubles in him. Therefore he can't give you any trials and troubles. No. This is is how the trials and troubles come. But every man ends up in trouble. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So when we get off on our own and we decide to do what we want, step out of Bethel and go back to Shechem. Every time we go to Shechem, we end up in issues. Yeah. Then, when lust is conceived, and lust doesn't just mean sin. Lust is anything your flesh wants to do that your spirit doesn't. Okay. Okay. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And the word sin is hamartia, which means you miss the mark. So when any lust in you, when you want to do what you want to do, as opposed to what God wants to do, then you miss the mark. Hamartia means missing the mark. Then you miss God's mark. You miss his GPS directions. And when you miss the mark, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Death Oh Lord, whatever that is. Was that the <clears throat> fireworks? That's the biggest firecracker I ever heard. Okay. I heard one this
1: afternoon. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I never heard that. <laughs> not,
0: not that loud. Sounds like a nightmare. Well, crazy. we put it under the blood of Jesus anyway. Holy cow. So then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Or when the desires of your flesh are conceived, they bring forth a missing of the mark. And when you miss the mark, when it's all finished, it brings forth death. Death is the same thing as the curse. God says in in Deuteronomy, he says, Today I put before you life and blessing, death and cursing. You choose. So when he says death, he's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about the curse, the end of the blessing. Okay. So you get out from under the blessing. And then he says, look at verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God doesn't change. He's the same in Jacob's day as he is today. So when you get into trouble, don't say the trouble came from God's hand." Look back to what you were saying, what you were doing, where you got into your own thinking, where did you stop listening, because that's where it is. Okay, go to Romans 8. Romans 8. Let's look at God's heart in our troubles. This is one of everybody's favorites here. (laughs) 28? Yeah, Romans 8. Start with verse 28. Um, Just before this, Paul was talking about the difference in faith and um, living under the law. The law is when you trust your own flesh to do good enough to make God happy. Faith is what Abraham, had. he couldn't trust his own goodness. He just trusted the grace of God, the mercy of God. So he says, when you are of that mind, and when you completely allow the Holy Spirit to break through you, when you have issues, when you have troubles, then this is what we know. Okay, this is what we know. When you have faith in God, you know, <clears throat> we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And to them who are called according to His purpose, to me that is so GPS. Yes. God's purpose served. God can see where we can't, and when we trust Him, when we pray, and we really seek after Him, He's going to direct us with His GPS, and God's purpose will be served. And there it is, you know, His GPS shows up. Now go to First Corinthians ten. This, too, is an oldie-goldie, but so misquoted. And again, Paul's talking about the people in the Bible, the old folks in the Bible and all the troubles they had. Okay. Okay, 10-11, 1 Corinthians 10-11. Now, all these things happen to them for examples. And they're written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So everything written from the beginning, from Genesis, is written there for us who are inching toward revelations so that we would learn from their mistakes and not do the same stupid things, although we do. (laughs) Therefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed unless he falls. In other words, don't be independent, be relational. Trust in God. Don't trust in your own balance, your own strength. Trust in the living God. Okay? Because there has no temptation, there's the word again. No trials, no difficulties, no problems, no issues. There are no problems, trials, difficulties, issues that have taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to go through trials, troubles, difficulties, and everything above what you were able. But will, this is what God does, with the trouble, make the way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So every time you get yourself out on the limb by your own thoughts, your own plans, your own desires, God makes the way to escape that. That's what he does. He always makes the way to escape. Well, look at Jacob. Every time Jacob got as far out on the limb as he could, God says, Go to Bethel. Over and over and over. Go to Bethel. Return to the place where the heavens were opened and the angels are going up and down on the ladder. That's where my blessings are flowing. Go to Bethel. He made the way every time. He chewed out Laban on the way to, to, you know, when he was chasing down Jacob. He said, don't you touch Jacob and his family. And then he took care of him when he met with his brother Esau. He gave Esau, um, you know, he gave him favor with Esau Then he put fear in all the people around Shechem so that they wouldn't attack him and he could escape again. Every time Jacob got into trouble, God made the way of escape. Um, And that's what he does over and over and over. So, you know, while we have troubles, we just need to ask, you know, ask and you'll receive. God will give you the wisdom. God will show you the way out. He is the one with the answers. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll ask before we get to the issue of trouble. Um, but <laughs> sometimes we just don't. We just act very quickly and then we go, a daisy. A lot of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, exactly right. Okay. Yeah, so back to, I tell you what, let's just stop there. Because okay. this is chapter 44 coming. I don't want to get into how he gets the whole family to come. So we'll stop there and come back to it next week. It's a little bit early, but that's all right. Quick question. Yeah. Why did Jacob take all his brothers
1: instead of doing what he said to Israel, I'll take
0: Benjamin and go? I don't know why all the brothers went, other than... Take the load? I guess. The more, more asses and camels they had, the more they could bring back, probably. But... um. There's just no accounting for Jacob. (laughs) I mean, there's just no figuring. But yeah, that's probably it. Just to, you know, of course there's safety in numbers because there are robbers along the way and people were desperate during that time. You know, even the Egyptians um, were fearful because there were little surrounding nations that were trying to spy out the weaknesses um, around their um, corn supplies and things to try to, take them down and uh, steal everything. So I imagine there's safety in numbers too, but I don't know. I mean, you know, far be it from me to try to figure Jacob out. He's just, I mean, he is way beyond me. And actually, as bad as I am, he sort of gives me a comfort. I mean, I mean, I don't think I've even been that stupid, but, um, you know. Wow. Oh, you know, especially, I mean, you know, we're so far removed from Abraham. But, but Abraham was his granddad, and Isaac, don't you know they told him the story about going up on the mountain? Don't you know he heard that growing up? don't you know he you know he was told about that covenant and told about those promises? you go out of all those sons, how come Joseph is the only one that got it? You know nobody else got it but Joseph, thank God for Joseph, but yeah, you know i don't I don't know it's just it's humanity. You know, yep. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, because of Abraham, honestly, because of Abraham, we have that covenant. The Abrahamic covenant belongs to us, not the Mosaic covenant. But because of Abraham and his faithfulness and Isaac and his faithfulness, you and I are under that Abrahamic covenant, you know, because of Abraham's faithfulness. Just skip straight
1: over to Jesus.
0: Yeah, exactly (laughs) right. Because we. You know, Jesus delivered everybody from out, out from under the Mosaic Covenant. That's the old covenant. It went away. And we went right back to the covenant of faith. Um, and, um, yeah, Paul says anybody that puts on Christ Jesus is Abraham's seed. And if Abraham's seed, then heirs to the promise. So, yeah. So we're back under Abraham's covenant, which makes this story much more personal. Because, you know, when I, the first time I ever went through this, I didn't even grasp that, you know. That they all lived under grace, but so do we. And they all lived under the Abrahamic covenant, and so do we. We don't live under the Mosaic covenant. You know, it's all faith by grace. grace. Yeah. You know, grace through faith, and even the faith's not of our own. It's it's a gift. So none of us can brag. But, um yeah. So it just makes this a little more personal, because... Abraham's our great 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 granddaddy too. So and and Jacob's in the family, oh Lord. Yeah. So mm-hmm. One of the stupid cousins? Yes.